0: This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. Welcome to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies today in Romans chapter 12. And we're gonna begin in verse 13. We've been looking at Christian characteristics and we're gonna continue in doing that in verse 13. Romans 12:13 says, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. The word distributing there comes from the Greek word koinoneo. Strongs says that word means to share with others. Vincent's Word Studies adds, the meaning is sharing in the necessities, taking part in them as one's own. So we are to be helping with the necessities. Necessity from the Greek word kreia, which means according to thayer, necessity, or need. We are to be helping one another in the needs that we have. And the needs there of the saints. You think about the needs of the saints. In Acts 4, 34 and 35, Acts 4, 34 and 35, it says neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now you have to go back and remember what we're looking at here. The day of Pentecost had just occurred back in Acts chapter 2, and also 50 days prior to that was the Passover. So people would be traveling, Jews would be traveling from all over the world to come to that area, And they would bring supplies for the Passover. And then instead of going back the long distances they would be traveling, they would bring enough supplies or money to buy the supplies that were needed to so that they could stay there for the Passover and then the Feast of Pentecost that was upcoming. Well, whenever the church began there in Acts chapter 2, there were those who stayed around. And they would run out of money. They may run out of supplies or whatever. So there were those who were in need. And here we have what was being done to help those that were in need until they were ready to return back to their homes and in anyone else as well that might have needed some kind of assistance. All right. Back there in verse 13, it says distributing to the necessity of saints. And it says given to hospitality. The word given is from the Greek word dioko. The fifth definition that Thayer gives of that is this, metaphorically to pursue, to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. Vincent's word studies adds literally pursuing hospitality. Vincent's Word Studies also says, the verb indicates not only that hospitality is to be furnished when sought, but that Christians are to seek opportunities of exercising it. And he gives 1 Peter 4.9 as an example. 1 Peter 4.9 says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. So hospitality. In Romans 12:14, we find that Christians are to act in a most noble fashion. Romans 12:14 says, "Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not." The word "bless" there, yulogato, there says means to praise, celebrate with praises, to invoke blessings. The word persecute, oko Thayer's third definition is, in any way whatever to harass, trouble, molest one, to persecute. So anyone who is harassing us, we are to bless and not to curse. The word curse there from the Greek word kataromai. Thayer says that means to curse, to doom, to imprecate, which means to call down evil upon. So we are to be acting as Christians. Brother John Shannon made this comment concerning this verse, and I quote, Visualize how difficult this is when one is being verbally or physically attacked, mistreated, insulted, bypassed, overlooked, slandered or cursed. We must bless the person who attacks us whether it is our neighbor, family, fellow worker or a church member." Unquote. In Matthew 5:44, Jesus made the same kind of statement there, Matthew 5:44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now you may have heard the old adage that to best, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to make a friend out of him. In First Peter 3, 9, Peter also gives instruction concerning those who are doing evil to us, 1 Peter 3, 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. You know, we might as well get used to what is happening to us and pity the persecutor. In First Peter 2, 20-24, Peter two twenty 20-24, it says, For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults ye you shall take it patiently? But when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now, you go back and look at what he's saying here about Christ's examples. They said it again in verse 22 of 1 Peter 2, he did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. You know, they were walking, passing by him, wagging their heads, thinking all kinds of accusations, and really just tormenting him, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Of course, that forgiveness could not come until they repented and obeyed the gospel after the day of Pentecost. There, but again, when he was reviled, he didn't—he didn't stand up or up there on the cross and tell them how they're going to go to hell and everything. No. He died so that they could be forgiven. When he suffered there, he suffered the scourging. He suffered the crucifixion, and you'll notice in the things that he said, he never threatened at all. Now you think about the seven sayings that he said there while he was on the cross. The first one again, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. And then whenever he was on the cross, when he saw John there and his mother, he said to Mary, behold thy son talking about John. And he said to John, Behold thy mother. And that's when John went and took care of her. To the thief on the cross there, the repentant thief, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We think about whenever Jesus said, I thirst. And he was brought vinegar to drink. Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Again, no reviling, no threatening. And then he said, it is finished. And then the last statement, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus never threatened. But what did he do? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Verse 23, the end of it says, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So Jesus set the example for us. For a Christian how a Christian should live. In Romans twelve fifteen, Christians are to show genuine interest in others. Romans twelve fifteen says rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know, whenever we rejoice, you think about a brother or sister or family in Christ, whoever, has good fortune, well, the world may be jealous of the good fortune of others, but the Christian rejoices when something good happens to a fellow Christian. But he also says, weep with those that weep. A Christian will draw near to a person that is experiencing some kind of trial, some kind of loss, some kind of suffering. And you know, we don't always have to say something. Sometimes it just takes being there. You know, you think about Job and his three friends. They came to comfort him. Of course, they wound up making accusations against him which were false accusations but as long as they hadn't said anything they could be comforting there to job and job said that later <laughs> why didn't you just keep your mouth shut every christian romans 12:16 says every christian should seek harmony with his or her brethren romans 12:16 says be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. You know, be of the same mind one toward another is not talking about doctrinal belief. We are to consider others Better than ourselves. You know, whenever we are prideful, whenever we are in conceit, our own conceits, we're not acting like a Christian. We're not acting like a child of God. We are to consider ourselves less than others. Brother Robert Taylor said this, and I quote. Paul is not so much urging unity of doctrinal belief here as he is urging tender ties of friendship, mutual helpfulness and mutual joy or sorrow with the joyful and with the sufferers." Brother Tom Waycaster made this comment, and I quote, That is, we are to have the same sentiments and feelings one toward another. Now, whatever he says, do not mind high things, condescend to things that are lowly. The word condescend from the Greek word synapago, Thayer's second definition is this to yield or submit oneself to lowly things, conditions, employments, not to evade their power. Now you'll notice whenever we look at the verse there, it says there, be of the same mind toward one another, mind not high things, but condescend to men, Whenever you look at the Greek, the word men is not there, and they didn't even italicize that. Young's literal translation puts it correctly. It says, of the same mind one toward another, not minding the high things, but with the lowly going along. Be not wise in your own conceit. So not condescending just to condescending to men, but condescending with the lowly, whether that be something whether that be a person or whether that be something totally else. You think about lowly, maybe cleaning out a cow lot where you could be out there riding horses or whatever. You know, whatever it could be. And he says, be not wise in your own conceits. The word wise from the Greek word "phronimos." Their second definition of that word is this. Prudent, for example, mindful of one's interest. So be not mindful of your own interest. Vincent, uh, when you look at your own conceits, that's from the Greek word heauto, which Thayer defines as himself, herself, itself, themselves. In other words, me, 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 me. Vincent's word studies says this, in your own conceits, literally with yourselves in your own opinion. You know, whenever people look at opinions, whose opinion is better than anybody else's opinion? Well of course the one that stated the opinion theirs is the most important opinion. No. Nobody's opinion is anybody is any better than anybody else's opinion. You see, what is condemned here is the desire to seek after those things the world considers important such as preeminence, honor, recognition, look, 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 what I did, look at me. That's what he's talking about here. A consequence of seeking honor is being wise in our own conceits. Christians are to be humble and not have a fondness of pride and putting ourselves on display the one we are to put on display is christ in romans 12:17 christians are to have these two types of behavior romans 12:17 recompense no man evil for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men. Recompense no man evil for evil. That just means returning evil for evil. You do it unto me, I'm going to do it right back unto you. And you know that is a natural reaction of human beings and it is forbidden by God. In James one twenty, James one twenty, James wrote for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Proverbs fifteen eighteen, Proverbs fifteen eighteen states, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. You ever known anybody who just liked to stir up trouble, stir things up, stir the pot, get things going? In Proverbs 19.11, Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of man deferreth his anger, and it it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Because you see, if an injustice has been done against us, getting even puts us on the same level that they are on, makes us no better. And then he says, at the end of the verse there, provide things honest in the sight of all men. The word provide, from the Greek word "pronoeo," Thayer defines as to perceive before, to foresee, to provide, think of beforehand. In other words, Think about what you're going to do or say before you say or do it. Another way to put that may be engage brain before we commit the activity or before we open the mouth. Provide things honest, the Greek word kalos. Thayer says that word means beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent, choice, surpassing, precious, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable. That is what we are to be doing. Reese Gareth wrote this, and I quote, Christians are to be right in the sight of God, verse 2, but they are to give some forethought to how men will view their conduct so that they may avoid justifiable suspicion and criticism, whether it is a Christian or a non-Christian who will view or be affected by the behavior. Before the action is done, it is to be made the subject of previous thought as to how it will be interpreted. If the interpretation may be adverse, the behavior is to be avoided, unquote. In Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, the Christian is to live at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18, Paul wrote, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men. Brother John Shannon made this comment, and I quote, However, it is not always possible. Some people in and out of the church are troublemakers, complainers, fighters, and just plain evil people that have no interest with living at peace with anyone, unquote. We're going back to the Example that Jesus set for us he was at peace with everyone around him. You see he was at peace they were not at peace with him. They didn't like what he taught. They didn't like who he claimed to be. So they were not at peace with him but he was at peace with them. And we can be at peace with them as well, even though they may not be at peace with us. You know, it's going to take a lot of self-control in order to do the things that we've been commanded to do. Truth and obedience to God, though, cannot be sacrificed to have peace with others. Sometimes the Christian must suffer or sacrifice his or her own personal rights and preferences rather than to stir up trouble. In Romans twelve nineteen, God will take vengeance on those that need it. Romans twelve nineteen Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That comment, that quote, comes from Deuteronomy thirty-two thirty-five, where God wrote through Moses, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. So God is saying, I'll handle it. Don't you be concerned about it. In Hebrews twelve or excuse me, Hebrews ten, thirty and thirty one, <clears throat> it says there, For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, God's vengeance is not limited to the judgment day. When we get into Romans 13, we're going to see that God uses the government to inflict judgment on the unlawful. But you go back and you think about this ver- or these two verses here in Hebrews 10. God says, vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense. But then he also says, the Lord shall judge his people. If we try to take vengeance on others, God is going to judge us. For that, And then he says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You ever tied that back to taking vengeance on others? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if we take vengeance on others. But it is also a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God of those who are persecuting us. We must let God be the one who takes the vengeance, not us. You know, there are three reasons that we must give place or give God's wrath. Let Him do the vengeance. Three reasons. Vengeance is God's prerogative. We're not the judge. We're not the jury to determine guilt and punishment. Secondly, we are to treat others with kindness, not wrath. And thirdly, to give in to vengeance is to be overcome with evil. And we have allowed evil to overcome us instead of us overcoming the evil. You know, David gave place to God to handle King Saul. In First Samuel 26, 9 through 11, First Samuel 26, 9 through 11, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. Abishai, one of Joab's brothers there, that he'll do it. Well, David said to Abishai there in First Samuel 26, 9, "'Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand "'against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless?' David said, "'Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, "'the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, "'or he shall descend into battle and perish.' The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster, his head, and the cruse of water, and let us go. So what is David saying there? I'm not going to commit murder. He is my, he considers me as his enemy. He's trying to kill me, but I'm not going to kill him that would be murder. If I did that, I would be taking the law into my own hands. But he says there, God will take care of him. God may smite him. He may die because of what God does to him. Or he says, his day shall come to die. He may die of old age. Or he says, he shall descend into battle and perish, you'll get killed into battle which is what happened but he says I'm not going to do it but he did say go ahead and take that water there that's at his head that, that maybe we might call it a canteen crucible water, whatever it is they carried the water in and get that and take the spear that's there too so he'll know we were there he'll also know that we spared his life so david treated saul kindly but he also treated him matter-of-factly as well in romans 12:20 we find that treating an enemy kindly may affect him greatly romans 12:20 therefore what okay whenever you're studying the word of god when you see the words for, wherefore, or therefore, it's referring to what was stated before. So in other words, you put it this way, when you see the word therefore, look and see what it's there for. Therefore, therefore what? Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Let God handle it. So because of that, verse 20, therefore, If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap holes of fire on his head. Well, that statement comes from Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. It says there, If thine enemy be hungry, Give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Okay, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm going to treat that person kindly because I want to heap coals of fire on their head. (laughs) That's not what he's talking about. You see, that person that you may consider as an enemy... God still wants that person to be saved. Our kind actions toward him or her may cause them to repent. It may cause them to look at our life and say, now wait a minute. I expected him or her to try to get even with me and they didn't. They treated me kindly. So because of our kind actions, they may look at our lives and decide maybe they want to have the same thing we have. Maybe they want to be saved. But on the other hand, if we try to get revenge and we have evil actions toward that individual, may drive that person further from God. And it's definitely driven us away from God. So we need to be kind. Brother John Shannon here stated this, and I quote, The coals indeed are painful to the enemy, but they are pains of shame with which kind treatment will produce. This kind treatment perhaps will soften his heart so that there is some chance the person might obey the gospel of Christ and be saved. Treating a person kindly can really get to his heart causing it pain and shame. So again we find it right there. Those coals of fire are just causing shame. That's what that is. And it may cause them to think about it, what they're doing and what they need to do. Brother Tom Waycaster wrote this, and I quote, I once read of a woman involved in a bitter argument with her husband. She was asked by her preacher if she heaped coals of fire upon his head, to which she responded, no, but I tried a skillet of hot grease. This was not the intention or tenor of the admonition from Paul. No, that skill in hot grease isn't going to help a whole lot, is it? Treat her people kindly. And then Romans 12, 21, vengeance makes evil victorious. Romans 12, 21, be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. Whenever we try to get revenge on others, when we treat them wrong, the devil wins. He is one in our life, and he's one in their lives as well. The word overcome, there in verse 21, be not overcome of evil, from the Greek word nakao, there says that word means to conquer, to carry off the victory, come off victorious. So in other words, don't let evil win. The word evil there from the Greek word kakos. Strong says it means worthless, intrinsically such. Subjectively, depraved, objectively injurious. So if a Christian takes vengeance on somebody else, evil has won. Evil has conquered him or her. We must not let evil conquer us. We are to conquer evil with good. Vincent's word studies says of the phrase, be not overcome of evil, it is the present passive imperative of nakao to conquer, which means this, stop being conquered by the evil thing or man, unquote. Stop being conquered, but overcome evil with good, the Greek word agathos. Thayer says that word means of good constitution or nature, useful, good, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, excellent, distinguished, upright, honorable. You see, holy living Is vital in carrying the gospel to a lost world. If we do anything that hinders the cause of Christ, whether that is in the world or in the church, we have hurt the cause of Christ. We must not do anything that will hurt the cause of Christ. We must follow the example that Jesus set for us. We must follow the words that Jesus told us to do. We are to let our light shine before others and not have the darkness of this world in our lives. You know, Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, right there, you think about light. Now, the example, you've probably heard it before. If you've ever been in a cave going through on the tour or whatever. I know we've been through a few caves and in every one where we've had a guided tour, the guide will say, now stop where you are and don't move. I'm gonna turn out all the lights. And he'll turn out the lights and you'll see how dark it is. And then in one of them we went in, he had a little tiny light little flashlight or something like that. And he just turned it on. And where do you think everybody's eyes went? Right to that light. That is the kind of a life that you and I are to have in this world of darkness. People should be able to look at your life and look at my life and see that we are different. There's something special about the way that we live. And then he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I know whenever I was playing football in Blackwell, Texas, we played a little town called Fluvanna. And Fluvanna was on a hill. And I don't know how far it was from Blackwell to Fluvanna, but I know we were driving back, riding back on the bus. And the coach told us after we had gone several miles, turn around and look. So we turned around and looked out the window and you could still see the lights of Fluvanna because it was situated on a hill. It could not be hidden. You see, our lights, our lives cannot be hidden if we are the light, living in the light as we should be, First 1 John 1, seven. then our lives will show to others what they need to do. But if we are living in darkness, our lives are not hidden either. People will know. But then you'll notice verse 15 there in Matthew 5. He says, neither do men light a candle and put it on a bushel. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to say anything. Somebody said something about, about drinking. I'm not going to say anything. Somebody said something about playing the lottery. Oh, I'm not going to say anything against that. Somebody said something about somebody else. Oh, I'm not going to say anything. You know, we're not the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil people. We're the ones who, as it says there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 where it says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Yeah, it does say that, but notice it also says, but rather reprove them. If we are letting our lights shine, then we will reprove evil. Do not hide our light. We should be like that candle that is put on a candlestick shining forth the light. And then he says, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. People need to see that we're different. If they don't see that we're any different than anybody else, why would they want to become a Christian? because they can look at our lives and say, well, you're not any different than Joe down the street or whoever. But we don't do or we don't let our light shine to glorify us. We let our light shine so that God the Father is glorified. And that's what we've looked at here from Romans chapter 12 verse 9 all the way down through verse 21. Whenever we live according to what these verses say, we are letting our lights shine. We are not living in darkness. We're living as God would have us to live. So let our light shine with our brethren and before those who are not children of God, so that they may want to become children of God. Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. I don't want to get started and romans chapter 13 this week so we're going to call a stop to the lesson there today and lord willing we will begin in romans chapter 13 at the next lesson when you're in moody missouri you're invited to visit the moody church of christ located on highway e in moody missouri the congregation there meets on sunday morning at 10 a.m for bible class 11 a.m for worship and then again at 6 p.m for sunday evening worship they also meet at 6 p.m on wednesday night for bible study.